And we're going to jump in to Romans where we left off as we continue. And last week uh, we were in Romans 8, and Romans is in the New Testament kind of uh, after the Gospels and after the book of Acts, there is this big theological book that the Apostle Paul penned by the Spirit's power and uh, working through him. And it's just a rich book. In chapter 8, we, uh, we're going to do in two weeks, but I've decided we're going to do it in three. We're going to look at the middle section of that. So you can turn there if you um, have a Bible in your hands. It'll be on the screen otherwise. But last week, we started in Romans 8, and we learned about what it is to have life in the Spirit. And I want to remind you of what I said last week as we looked through this chapter, that God chose you. Don't forget that. That will set up today where we move into the middle of this chapter. God chose you. Don't forget that. And so today, in the middle of this book, I said there was this hinge verse in verse 17 that talked about if you are in Christ, part of that is suffering and pain. And so here's what I'd say about this as we jump in today. Is it worth it to follow Jesus knowing that you likely will experience trial and tragedy and pain in your life? Trusting deeply in God amidst pain? You bet it is. Don't forget that. So God chose you. Don't forget that. Is it worth it? You bet it is. Don't forget that. He loves you. He chose you. It is so worth it. With that, we turn to Romans 8. I'm going to read from verses 17, that hinge verse, through 30. It says this in verse 17, all the way through 30. And then we'll look at the the rest of it next week. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray for as what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And you might recognize this verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he, almost, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. With that, I invite you to pray a simple prayer. Say, God, would you just speak to my heart, and, and I'll pray for us collectively. Father, we pray that you would move in our hearts in a way that 
penetrates them with your word, with its truth. Father, that you would capture our, our heart and mind, that we would understand maybe some answers to some questions and maybe not needing all those answers to all of those questions, but understanding you're very present in all those things. So Father, help us today, guide us by your spirit, that we'd have open hearts and, and open ears to your word. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Tragedy, suffering, pain, catastrophic loss, minimal loss. Where is God? Is there a God? Why doesn't he stop this? Why does he allow this to happen in my life? Maybe those are some of your questions that you ask often, that you ask in your world when something happens and in your own heart as you have experienced really trying situations, really painful ones. Because how can we see the hand of God at work in the loss of a young child to illness? Someone killed in a tragic car accident at the hands of a drunk driver? Where is God in the agony of the cancer victim in his last weeks on earth? Or the slaughter and execution and beheadings of believers in the Middle East? Where is God in Columbine and Sandy Hook? Where is God? How is this good? Those are questions that we wrestle with when we come to suffering on this earth. There is this discrepancy between this profound affirmation of faith and our human experience in suffering. Making Romans 8 and Romans 8.28, that verse there, we've looked at that before, where he works all things together for good for those who love him, for those called according to his purpose. It's hard. There's a discrepancy. There's this wrestling between how does God make that good? All those things that appear so bad. And we need to understand what Paul is saying and how he is saying it. And we need to recognize this in the light of his own experience. Larry came and read from Colossians. Paul talked about that, being afflicted. Paul is credible in this. He doesn't write as often as we come to as somebody who has not experienced sufferings and trials. So you experience pain. Sometimes you bump into somebody that has never gone through what you go through, and they're trying to give you advice. Paul is not that. Paul has been pressed in every way, it says in Corinthians. He has been with, without, he's been dragged through the streets, he's been beaten, he's been left for dead, he's been all these things, and so he comes and he writes this. He's credible in this. He has suffered. He has followed Jesus. He has counted the cost of picking up the cross, denying himself. And he isn't one that preaches outside of his own experience. He writes this from his heart and his experience. Now, I don't pretend to know all that you go through, all that you struggle with in your life. I don't pretend to know the very situation which you find yourself in right now, but I also do have a trial in our own life with our son, and I do know pain, and I do know suffering, and I do know confusion, I do know questions, I do know all those things, and each situation is different, but I know my heart has been plucked from my chest many times and tears. I, said, I say to people all the time, especially when they cry around me, I say, I've cried more in the last six and a half years than I've ever cried in my entire life, and I'll probably cry more. I know what that's like. And chapter 8 expresses this deep faith and love for God in the midst of all of our painful things. 
and we trust in his purposes. So what is the good towards which God works? You have to understand what Paul is saying in the context of this passage. Last week we left off Paul saying those who are in Christ, who have the Spirit, and you see that distinction. There are those who don't have Christ, who don't have the Spirit, who have the wrath of God on them. We learn that there are two separate groups of people. And those who are in the flesh and those who have the Spirit have no condemnation. Those who don't have the Spirit stand condemned in their own sin. And there's that distinction there. But for those who have no condemnation, those who are in Christ, those who belong to him, we are secure. We are sure that God is working. Sure they have the Holy Spirit inside. Sure we have been chosen by God, handpicked by grace. We can't forget that. God chose you in Christ. Don't forget that. Children of God and heirs with Christ. And then you get to that hinge verse, like I said in verse 17. By affirming that, recognize that this new life in Christ is lived in tension between present suffering and final glorification. So we live in the middle of this tense environment. In Christ, God chose us. We have eternal security. We have peace with him. We're reconciled to him for eternity. But here on this earth, we have trouble. We have pain. We have hardship. Our heart aches. We have suffering. We have difficult things with our kids, in our marriage, in our bodies, sickness, mental health issues, emotional strain, you name it. All that you guys have experienced probably even the last three hours, waking up and just creaking out of bed and struggling with what you're struggling with. And we live in a fallen earth. So there's this tension between this hard-pressed suffering and yet the believer can have true joy and peace in their heart. That's why in verse 18, and it's crucial here, Paul shows that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, Paul is saying this. Catch this, you need to hear this, believe this. Your suffering, whatever you're experiencing in all of your pain, whatever you will soon, it's often said, I said it last week, you're either going into a trial, coming out of one, in the midst of one, whatever that is, all of that, all of your heartache, all of your questions, all of your tears, all of those things, all of them is doing something. Maybe not seen. And it's not only doing something, but it's worth it. Why? Because what's coming is, is so beyond value to what you and I are dealing with. It's not even worth comparing the two. It's like going to the grocery store and you notice as you walk out your receipt, you've been gypped a couple dollars by the grocer and you had coupons and my wife has coupons all the time, so she's meticulous with that. But you're gypped a couple bucks, but you go outside just to receive a trillion dollar inheritance. You're not going to think about it. It's just not worth comparing. If you're handed the trillion dollars when you walk out of the grocery store and you're not, you're not thinking about the two dollars that I lost, such is life Paul's unpacking. There is a glory that's coming that's so beyond compare that this isn't even worth comparing. All the stuff you've been through, all the stuff you're going through, it just pales in comparison to what God will do in the final glorification. He says... The total sum, Paul is writing here, in a big way, of human suffering in this age, the total sum of all of it is like dust in the scales by comparison of the weight of future glory. It just doesn't 
just doesn't even compare. It's not even the same playbook of things to look at these two things and say they're worth comparing. And I need you to understand this. It's critical that you come at the right perspective in your attitude, and it's how your life will be shaped in this attitude. It's crucial how you will walk graciously through your trials because you'll trust that God has purpose in them. Because you'll trust that he has grace through them. Now we need to pause on that and gather proof Paul's defending his verse 18 claim with. He says that this doesn't even compare. Well, we'll expect him, okay, convince me. So he does. Why can he say that human suffering pales in comparison to the weight of future glory? This is what he says. He unpacks three reasons. In verse 19, he says it this way. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. The whole creation is groaning for it. He says they're longing The creation's longing is for something more. It's groaning. Creation in verse 20, it wasn't subjected willingly, but because God ordained it to be this way. He wants to set creation free from disaster. What happened in the garden was God created everything and he saw that it was what? Good. Sin enters the world through Adam's hand and death enters and all things begin to decay and die. And God wants the creation to be restored, and he will, and he promises that it will be one day soon. He is making all things new, verse 21. It will be set free from bondage of corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is to the glory of God. The world is in the pains of childbirth. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, laboring and struggling in a fallen state, waiting and groaning and contracting and pacing. He uses this labor example. Now think of this. If you've been a mom that's gone through labor and you've experienced that and no man will ever know, even though they have those machines on YouTube you can watch, they hook up the guy and they do the contractions and the guy's like, oh, that's not so bad. And they hit him with a big one and oh, knocks him on his back. But that's all this contracting that happens, all this thing in labor that happens. And most moms would say they don't necessarily enjoy going through that natural labor process. On the exception of my wife who loved everything about childbirth, including that. She's strange. But most moms don't, don't like that. Most moms, even talking to a couple of them here, I remember talking to Natalie last week, and she said, I wasn't, I'm not ready, I don't feel good, and you just go through this stuff you're not ready for. But most moms I know would also not compare that to holding that baby in their arms for the first time. They would say, that's so worth it. That's my wife said with all of our children, that was so worth it. All of that excruciating pain and all of that, and most of them don't want to go through 24 or 36 hours or whatever it is, all that pain that comes with that, it was so worth it. But this is the kind of season Paul is talking about for us as believers. We have moments in life that we get to, like the mom in labor, catch our breath along the way. We have moments where we have contractions that aren't so close together that we can just enjoy the process. But there are moments when we're out of breath, when the pain is too deep to bear. And Paul recognizes that and he says, so creation is groaning in that way. And then he gives another reason in verse 23. You know what? Creation groans, but Christians groan too. We as believers Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await. 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation waits in hope, and so do we for adoption and redemption. Most of you in here right now that are dealing with some kind of ailment, or you're, you're getting out of bed and you're just like, man, I can barely move, you know you want redemption of your bodies. That bum hip that you just keep enduring, that knee, whatever it is, your ears, some of you like, and some of you hear better than you do. You just don't, you pretend to not hear. I know that about some of you. But, but some of you want that back. Your failing eyesight. You just know I groan for redemption in my body. I've shared it before and I'll say it again. In good seasons and in bad, I am just ready I've had many moments in my life where I would say, if Jesus just comes back now, I'm good. I'm just ready. I want to be done here. I want heaven. And that's not some depressed thing. That's just me knowing there's something better coming. Now, there are people out there, maybe some of you are in here, that say, well, I want Jesus to come back, and, and I want all of that stuff, but there's just some things on earth that I want to experience first. I want to see this or do that, or I want, or I want to go here or, or have this situation or at least experiences. And I just don't relate to that. I don't. I don't. And that doesn't make me more spiritual. I just don't think comparison is in play as I understand what God is saying through his word. That this earth is, is, is a fallen earth and there's just not going to be that excitement and joy that you've, you wanted so bad. It has no comparison to what is coming. And I say it often. I even told my daughter. She was looking forward to this Florida trip the whole time, saved money. She went on Florida, Disney, first time, the whole thing. She got back. and I'm, I mean, she was tired, but she's coming back from the high school. And I said, so was it everything you thought it would be? And I don't know. Not really. We look forward to all these things in life. Is it everything we thought it would be? No. Heaven is nothing like that. I am blessed beyond measure. I shared that last week. I have a beautiful wife. I have beautiful kids, a great home, a great church family, friends, a, a, a great family, a dog that behaves most of the time. I've been to a few neat places around the world and I've seen some things. There's some things that I haven't seen. When Jay came, Jay Seeger, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. I'd love to see that. I've never been to the Holy Land. I'd love to go there. I've never been to Fiji. Who wants to go to Fiji? Anyone? Thank you. I've never been there. I haven't had the privilege of walking a daughter down the aisle and seeing her get married. I haven't had the privilege of grandkids. But you know what? I just don't desire those things now as much as I desire heaven, redemption, full adoption. Why? Because I groan for that. I groan for it. Maybe because, maybe because I get to see and minister to all these heartbroken situations. And I know what people go through. I know what I go through, but I get to, to, to spend time with people that are really struggling. Maybe it's because I have a child who struggles in everything. He struggles to breathe and he struggles to move and he struggles to think and he struggles to do even the smallest little tasks. It's a battle. Maybe it's because I sit at the bedsides of people whose body is being ravaged by cancer and are just skin and bones. Maybe. But maybe that's just how we're wired by the Spirit's overcoming power that we just know there's something more. This is not our home. There's something far better. And so Paul writes in verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for, what, for who hopes for what he sees. Paul is calling for hope. So if you hear one thing today, whatever you're struggling with, 
Have hope. Paul is calling for it. God is calling for it. The Spirit's calling for it. I'm calling for you to have hope. By hoping, you are believing. And by, le- by believing, you're believing in a faith that only in that faith you can be saved. And here's where Paul interjects the truth about hoping. It's regards to attitude and perspective. If you don't hope blindly, you aren't hoping at all. When you can't see all the answers right in front of you. He says there's going to be some things in front of your life that you just don't get to see. You just don't get to see it. And hope is when you trust God more than all those things. He alludes it to this. You know when you were little, right? And, and you knew where your mom and dad hid all the Christmas presents, right? It was always in their closet. It's so dumb. It's so obvious. And you snuck in and you looked at what you were getting. And on Christmas Day, you act all surprised if you didn't get caught because your mom did just this bang-up tape job and she set you up. But when we get gifts like that that we already knew about, it's no surprise to us. And Paul is saying, if you knew everything that was before you in life, where's the hope in that? If if your Red Ryder BB gun is sitting in the closet and you've already played with it once and then you get it on Christmas morning, well, I was hoping to get that. (laughs) No, you, you knew about it. Such is life, Paul is saying. If you don't know what's coming, that's when we need this deep faith in God. When your whole life is in shambles because you don't know how this whole thing is going to play out, God stands there, his son Jesus Christ stands there and say, do you trust me? Do you know that I'm the only hope in this world, in this life, for eternity? Do you trust me? Even when you can't see the outcome, do you trust me? Even when your heart feels like it's being crushed, do you trust me? Even when your tears are just flowing and the whole world's upside down and you just don't know why this is happening, do you trust that I have purpose in it? Do you take him at his word because of his great love? Do you step out knowing that he is faithful? People ask me all the time, they say, how do you, how does, how do you walk faithfully? Not so much of me, but in general, How do you just keep walking faithfully? How do you keep trusting God? I remember talking to a woman on the the way out of church one day, and she says, I look at your life, and you just seem to have faith. Well, now, faith is a spiritual gift, but I, I tell her this personally. I keep trusting God because I remember this. He hasn't let me down one time. Not one time. It doesn't feel like it during the times, but his word and his promise hasn't let me down one time. That's how. I keep remembering So just have a good memory. That's how you do it. That he's been good and faithful, that his word is true, even in the hardship. So I, when I go through these things, I surrender. I take another step. I humble myself and say, God, I'm going to trust you. You've got purpose in this. I have no idea what that is. I have no idea why you would choose to have me go through this, but I am going to take another step. And I do it patiently. And that's the key here in verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Many of us are being stretched in patience. There's the joke, right? When you pray for it, God answers that often. But many of us are being pulled through this patient process. Just hang on in that. Paul is saying you have to be patient. You have no idea what God is doing. He's doing a million things in the background. Just be patient through it. And then he goes back and gives the third reason. 
We can know that our suffering pales in comparison to the coming glory. Creation is groaning and hoping. We ourselves are groaning and hoping. And you know what is mind-blowing in this text and so reassuring for the believer? He says, the Spirit of God groans for you and longs for glory to be revealed. The groaning of God for God. He says, creation is groaning. We ourselves are groaning. And you know what? When you're tapped out and without anything, the Spirit of God in you is groaning for that redemption. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. Jesus wasn't blowing smoke there when he said, you will have a helper who will come in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. For as we ought, some of us have experienced that. You don't even know what to say anymore. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. If this is not an evidence of God's grace, I don't know what is. When we run out, when you are just empty, the Spirit intercedes. Even when I have no words left to say, even when I sit next to someone that I'm visiting who is dying, their body is decaying, and I just don't know what to say, the Spirit searches and takes over for us. Verse 27, he searches right through our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Through all of that breaking and all of that shattering and all of that deep pain and all of that struggle and all of that doubt and all of that fear, he just intercedes for his people according to the will of God. I can't tell you how many times I've stood over Josiah's bed and prayed that this would just stop. I can't tell you how many times I've stood over monitors and just asked them, asked God to make them stop beeping. I can't tell you how many times I've asked God to stop his body from swelling up. I can't tell you how, how many times I've asked God to just make him breathe easier or as Carrie puts a catheter and just have it go in easier. I can't tell you how many times make this test work, make all this thing happen easier. And you know what? Sometimes God says no. He just looks at me and he says no. No. I'm not doing it that way. And you know what? I get frustrated. I, like you, am, am, am confused. Why does this have to happen? Why does it have to happen this way for this little boy in this time? Why, God? Why does it have to happen? And then something happens in me. Almost every, I want to say almost every time, Every single time, this small voice that, that says, and I don't even hear it, but I can sense its presence, says, just keep hoping. Be patient. I'm with you. I chose you. I love you. I want to help you. I know I'm bigger than this. I'm working in this. I can stop this at any time. I have a plan in this. I'm doing something so much greater beyond your comparison. This is so small to what is coming that it's not even worth comparing. And then he buries, he buries verse 28 right in my soul. And we know we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
He buries it. He buries love in my heart with his sovereign care. And he says, I will make this work. And he points me back to verse 25. And he says, keep hoping. Keep being patient. Wait for the good. Keep trusting. In verse 28, we we covered this when we looked at verse jacket. It is not a verse for all people of all times. It's for God's people. Because God's people recognize the loving purpose of God. They just do. You just know it. It's hard sometimes. But those who truly love God, that's what it says. For those who are called according to his purpose, those who truly love God recognize God's goodness even in suffering. And those who are truly chosen and called know what verse 29 is all about. They know this is part of it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. They know this is just part of it, identifying with Jesus in his suffering so that we may know a bit of what Jesus experienced and we'll never fully know. You read Hebrews 12, you know, we'll never fully know what Jesus experienced in all the agony. So whatever you're dealing with, he's dealt with far greater. And in that pain, he's refining us and he's bending our will towards his. And I often have said this and I believe it. It isn't, until you feel crushed that you realize how weak and dependent you are on God. And some of you haven't gotten there yet. And in some weird way, I pray that you do. Because I know only then will God have your attention. It'll be necessary to wake you up out of your own pride and self-sufficiency when you feel crushed and abandoned and you're without anything but the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's where God wants all of us. Because he wants to conform us into the image of his Son. And here's the beautiful part that you and I must hold on to in our suffering. In the midst of serious pain and trials in life, cling to this, verse 30. This is a promise. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified us. God chose us, don't forget it. He called us by his grace. Don't forget it. He justified us. He made our sin right before God, acquits us of shame and freed us from punishment. He took it. He broke the chains off of us. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And if he chose you and he called us and he justified us, then he will glorify us. He will make it known. He will fully redeem. That's why I can take another step if I believe that in my heart. That's why I know it doesn't compare. That's why I hope, because I can see the sun breaking dimly, dimly over the horizon, slowly, but it's breaking for the believer. It's all worth it. It is all worth it. I want to have us just listen as we listen to the words of this song and have it performed on the video here. This is a song, we've, we've done it here before, Though You Slay Me, and the words will be up there. But I just want you to just pray through them. And listen, in the middle of this song, there's an excerpt sermon by John Piper. It's not like a full 40-minute sermon. It's a little clip that he just unpacks 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Your suffering, your pain, my pain, God's doing something. So as we just quiet our hearts, I want to pray for us and we'll reflect together on this. And if you have pain so strong and you've never taken it to Jesus, this would be a great time to do that, to cry out to God and say, God, would you help me? Would you deliver me? I trust in 
the, the shed blood of your son at the cross for sin and his burial and his resurrection for me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just infuse hope into us as we just reflect briefly, as we just meditate over the words of this song, as the word is preached to our hearts. Father, that you would remind us of your faithful care, even in the suffering. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 4, I'd encourage you to read the whole, just read the whole Bible when you get home. It's all good. But he says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Have a blessed day and go in the confidence of God. Amen.